Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today is the 23rd of February, and uh, my name is Jonathan, and I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all across the planet are Doug, Erica, Gabby, um, Tiffany, and Adam. We have a new guest host with us today. He's going to be giving us some good information on uh, exercise and uh, ketosis. So our topic today is a continuation of last week. Uh, we'll call this the ketogenic diet part two. And um, But first, we're going to go into uh, some of the news from the week, and Erica has some of those topics for us. So, Erica, I know you had a few interesting stories. Would you like to cover those? Yeah, sure. So last week, kind of top health and wellness news, um, more mad science. F, uh, the feds approve the new GMO apple, and basically it was announced on uh, – Several websites, but uh, Politico.com on February 13th, uh, an arm of the U.S. Department of Agriculture said that they will be rolling out an Arctic apple in Golden Granny's varieties. And the apple isn't in grocery stores yet, um, though this last regulatory hurdle was overcome. The company is waiting for a conclusion of a voluntary review by the FDA which basically means that the FDA is going to go ahead with it. The interesting thing about the reason they genetically modified this apple was because they wanted to stop the browning that happens when the flesh is exposed to the air damaged. So kind of a weird, creepy thing. Um, The apple's approval is a test case and – you know, more people are interested in doing this kinds of things. It's just really interesting timing considering how all this uh, controversy over labeling in different states is coming out and how people are really against GMOs and learning about their toxic, you know, unhealthy, non-scientific fruit-based safety. So what was interesting in this article, and you can read it on the thought page, is that it's becoming a tougher sell in the United States to do things like introducing GMO apples. So they're talking about going to countries like Brazil to continue this work where the regulatory environment is not as difficult. So more on that, you know, should be coming out. It's just, again, as I said, you know, the health and safety of GMO foods are a concern for people. And for some reason, the feds keep rolling out, new GMO products, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was the plenish soybean oil. And so this week it's, it's the apple that doesn't brown. Which is really um, actually kind of ironic because, um, you know, it's, it's such a stupid thing to do, you know, like the browning of apples is really like, it, who cares? Right. <laughs> like, like, honestly, yeah. it's not, it's not like everybody is like, Oh, if only my apples didn't brown, this is so terrible that this, this happens. Like, such imperfect uh, design by nature. It's, it's, it's just so silly. Like it really makes you realize that they're, they're just really trying for complete ownership of the entire food chain. You know, it's like 
by by making these these stupid little tweaks to the genetic code, suddenly they have the complete rights over it. And and any any apple that gets sold now is gonna it, it's gonna you know benefit uh, the biotech companies. So it's it's just such a a, a stupid thing to do. With a complete lack of public consumption, because everybody you know is so against it, you know, and they keep pushing it no matter what. You know. Yeah. 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 And it was interesting how the article was written and because it was really not touching on the fact that these products are, are being denied by more and more people, that there is a push, you know, in states to to label these kinds of foods. And it's almost like the intention is to get as many products onto the market before people become educated, you know, and this is just another example of that. Yeah, yeah. So the next kind of interesting uh, article is uh, fun fat facts, fatty foods that are great for your health. And I share this one because it kind of ties into our topic today. And um, basically it's uh, 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 on Alternet and it's written uh, kind of based on this book, The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. And the author goes through and states four reasons to love fat or five reasons, excuse me. And what really sparked my interest was that, that she lists the four different types of fat, monounsaturated, polysaturated, trans fat, and saturated fat, and then goes on to say guacamole can make you healthier, talking about avocados being a good source of fat. Then fats found in the Mediterranean diet, and she lists, mm -hmm. you know, omega-3s, omega-6, and then trout, salmon, herring, nuts, almonds, sunflower seeds, and then the final sentence is cooking oils such as soybean and corn, which just completely yeah. sent me for a loop. <laughs> Especially after that, plenish soybean oil is now on the market. And Man. then uh, goes into how bad trans fats are, and you know we all kind of have read about that over the last couple of years. And then only mentions coconut oil as a as a as a healthy saturated fat. So mm -hmm. completely leaves out any animal fats at all and the importance mm -hmm. of animal fats in, in you know a healthy especially keto diet. And so I just thought that was um kind of interesting how these articles are coming out, but they're still not going there on how saturated fat is good for you or animal fat is good for the brain, any yeah. sort of things like that. So it's kind of like, Doug, you were saying last week, you know, this whole movement of healthy eating, but, like, don't mention animal fat. Yeah, exactly. The programming is very, very deep on this. But they don't have any idea what they're doing because there are even government agencies who are reconsidering dietary advice and stop putting a limit to cholesterol, for example. And yeah. uh, since 2014, since last year, you know, it's official, like, you know, fat is actually, you know, it was not the problem, you know, animal fat. And then you have articles like this which show complete disregard and complete ignorance of what is actually going on even with their own scientists, so go figure, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like yeah. the, the, holistic, uh, the holistic health um, movement, you know, where it's kind of like the, the hippies took over at one point, and at first they were all promoting the, the, um, the plant-based diet, 
And they can't seem to get out of that, that kind of uh, mode of thinking that, you know, you want your diet, even if you do eat uh, meats and things like that, you want uh, the majority of, of what you're uh, eating to be plant-based. And, you know, they, despite all this stuff that's coming out, you know, they're, they're, they're coming around and saying, well, actually, it turns out saturated fat isn't that bad, so you should eat coconut oil. It's like, well, no. I mean, yeah, yeah sure, eat coconut oil, that's fine, but that, it shouldn't be your main fat source. You know, we, we really need the fats that are coming from animal fats, particularly like, you know, lard, tallow, um, all these sorts of, uh, of animal fats. I mean, those, those are what, like you said, Erica, that's what we need for our brain. Exactly. Well, not just for your brain. The, no, uh, the true. The saturated yeah. fat being needed for, um, for the proper um, assimilation of protein, you know, like that gets completely overlooked. Yeah, exactly. And kind of leading from that is a, another um, article for the week. The government wants Americans to adopt a plant-based diet. And this is from Washington oh, Free Skin. Meatless Monday. <laughs> and it basically says uh, the federal committee responsible for nutrition guidelines is calling for the adoption of plant-based diets taxes on desserts, trained obesity interventionists at work sites, and electronic mm. monitoring of how long Americans sit in front of the TV. Yeah. I mean, it... <laughs> Ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah. For real. It, and it's, uh, it's one really of the like... things... Oh, go on. Well, I, I was just going to say, it really just goes to show that they're not basing these decisions on the latest science. Um, like Gabby was saying, there's so much... Uh, science coming out right now and even like some other government agencies like so it just goes to show that the the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing in a lot of cases but you know they're they're reconsidering their their um, recommendations on cholesterol and and animal fats and things like that and but yeah here you have uh, uh, a mandate to uh, Americans need to adopt a plant-based diet like you know hello Exactly. And yeah. they say in the article, the major findings regarding su sustainable diets were that a diet higher in plant-based foods, such as vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, and lower in calories in animal-based foods is more health-promoting and in association with less environmental impact in the current U.S. diet. All oh, of these dietary break. patterns are aligned with lower environmental impacts and provide options that can be adopted by the U.S. population, the report says. So current hmm. evidence shows that the average U.S. diet has a larger environmental impact in terms of increased greenhouse gas emissions, land use, water use, energy use, compared to the above dietary patterns. This is because the current U.S. population intake of animal-based foods is higher and plant-based foods are lower than proposed in these three dietary patterns. I mean, just going back to our vegetarian myth discussion, I mean, that, that can all just be discredited just on the agri-based, you know, approach to growing these kinds of foods. It's just completely insane. We should send them the vegetarian myth by Lear Keith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the uh, exciting informational health topics for last week. You always have to take it with a grain of salt and just kind of read between the lines. And thanks for the commentary from SOT editors to really keep uh, the discussion, you know, going in a, in a right direction and kind of 
pointing out the flaws in these these uh, topics that people are putting on the internet. Going along, with that, I actually found one from uh, like last week or so, and it was a comparison of diet or not uh, dietary, but uh, lifestyle changes. So it was uh, exercise was compared to uh, drug therapy for uh, different diseases, uh, including Parkinson's, and diet uh, not diet, but exercise was found to be just as effective as all the uh, drug therapies. So, I mean, it's just really interesting the kind of stuff that comes out that never really gets any kind of media attention uh, or yeah. gets put into policy, even though all the science is right there in your face. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, pe- people don't want to exercise, though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. It, it, there's so many natural modalities that are available, like you said, just simple exercise, um, regulating your diet. And it seems like when you bring this this kind of uh, topic up, uh, especially with certain medical professionals and, and other people who are kind of on that train, that the diet is this somehow separate thing. You know, it's like, well, you don't need to change your diet for that. You know, you just take this. And it, it seems like something that's outside of the realm of treatment. And then, you know, treatment via diet is this kind of radical idea, um, which just seems really strange. Well, it's but, um, really strange because they've got the, the recommendations that they've got, you know, the majority of the population are following along with it. So uh, when the doctors right. are looking at people's diet and it's like, okay, I see you've got all these whole grains here and a bunch of fruits and stuff like that. So that's obviously not what's wrong because they've mm-hmm. been trained to think that this is good for them. And so they yeah. don't even see it as being, uh, you know, within the realm of something that needs to be changed because according to them, it's right. Right. Yeah. I think I might've yeah. shared this story on the, on the show before, but I, I, I knew a guy, I met a guy at a, a kind of a family um, get together at one point and he was telling me about how, um, you know, he went to the doctor and his cholesterol was really high. And the doctor said to him, well, you know, you could, you know, change your diet and you could start exercising or, you know, I could give you this pill and they'll do the exact same thing. So why don't you just take the pill? Oh, I'm so, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the kind of, uh, you know, mentality. Um, that's, that's <laughs> don't take responsibility for yourself or your actions. Just take this pill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You think that you have to study like 15 years like to arrive to that conclusion, basically, you know. Not to promote health. <laughs> Fifteen years. Just yeah, exactly. Don't promote health. Promote medication. Oh, yeah. Along those lines, um, I had come across an interesting topic this week uh, regarding uh, the ketogenic diet and ketones specifically. I was listening to another podcast, uh, and the guest on the show was uh, Ken Ford, who's the founder and chief executive officer of the Florida Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. Um, and he has personally been in ketosis for something like eight years, close to eight years. He had many good things to say about it. Um, he also did exercise on the ketogenic diet. And um, he brought up that, uh, that DARPA has been doing research into this for some time now. Um, the Defense Advanced Research, shoot, now I'm forgetting the acronym, I think most of our listeners are familiar with DARPA, uh, but DARPA and the DOD, uh, and, um, 
did a little bit of searching on this and found uh, that indeed uh, the army had contracted a professor of physiological biochemistry at Oxford named Kieran Clark, um, head of the cardiac metabolism research group. Uh, so the army had contracted her to um, develop a drink of uh, that's basically a ketone ester drink um, so that you can uh, trick your body into burning fat uh, without having to change your diet and switch the liver over into a, a ketone producing state. And that seemed like kind of along the same lines that we were talking about. Like, you know, you don't have to work at it. Just take this drink. Um, <laughs> yeah. They are, they're specifically recognizing or have recognized the benefits of the ketogenic state, not necessarily the diet, but the physical state of ketosis and are working on this for uh, soldiers in combat zones um, so that they can have, you know, longer lasting energy sources without having to weigh their packs down with a bunch of extra MREs. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Take MCT oil. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. are so yeah. programmed for, for the easy way out, you know, for the easy peel, yeah. the easy solution, you know, God. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that yeah, it's, I mean, it's also, I mean, these, this is going to be coming out on the market soon as well. That was another thing Ken Ford said that he wouldn't be surprised if, you know, within the year, uh, we saw ketone drinks that were available and we've already seen, um, ketone, you know, pills that you can take. Doug, you had mentioned raspberry ketones, and that was something I've seen online as well. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, really big a couple of years ago. Dr. Oz mentioned it at one point, so it kind of blew up as this uh, weight loss miracle that you just take these raspberry ketone uh, pills and, and suddenly your, uh, your the weight will just start falling off, which, you know, talking to people who have actually done it really doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, like we had mentioned, the it's not necessarily that you know having the raspberry ketones isn't a uh, you know helpful modality for weight loss. It's that the studies that were you know used to support raspberry ketones as a way to lose weight, it made up a very significant portion of their diet. And so you yeah. know supplementing your diet with raspberry ketones, you know, take one or two of these pills and it'll suddenly melt the fat off. Well, that's not exactly what happened. You'd have to take you know bottles a day yeah 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 i think i think the, the studies on it were uh rat studies and it was it was like 20 20 or 30 percent of their diet something along those lines so it, it's it, it was an insane amount of this this raspberry ketone stuff and yeah it would be at least bottles <laughs> yeah well that it's uh see that looking at the gym you know get your get your raspberry ketones uh, get your raspberry ketone smoothies. Exactly. Yep. That uh, that is some of the uh, some of the highlights in this article that I was looking at. It's on the Daily Mail um, uh, regarding the the ketone ester drink. Um, you know, or that it can help with certain uh, diseases like epilepsy and Alzheimer's and things like that. But they also say, um, don't worry about side effects. Which is, you know, that makes me nervous, um, especially when you're doing anything trying to trick the body into a certain state of, of, uh, of metabolism without actually adjusting the system accordingly. Um, you know, so they, they're, they're basically offering a quick solution. And, uh, you know, I can attest in my own experience that switching over to the ketogenic diet was, um, was and is, uh, kind of a painful process. You know, there's certain transitions that you have to go through. And I think, 
I, I certainly wouldn't want to try to trick my body into that state because it's just unpredictable. I have no idea what's going to happen. You yeah, know, are we going to see people? I'm sorry, well, yeah. it's better to do it naturally because, you know, Rome was not well in one day, so to speak. You know, we're talking about a lifetime of eating carbs, which ages you, inflames you. You just cannot switch to an anti inflammatory state like overnight, you know. Right. Pay no games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once yeah. it, once something like this catches on, are we going to see people's livers shutting down because they're trying to simultaneously produce ketones and, and glucose at the same time and having their metabolisms uh, utterly confused, you know, to the point where it just stopped working? I, I don't know that, but, you know, there's, there's such a, a wide array of unpredictable results to this kind of thing. Yeah, there's, there's the, I, I often wonder about, you know, a lot of these people who are, are looking to lose weight and things like that and would be looking for the kind of these miracle solutions are going to generally be pretty insulin resistant, um, yeah. probably have like metabolic syndrome and all these other kinds of conditions. And how does that, you know, you know, how, how does, how are, is the body going to react when it is kind of in this insulin resistant state to suddenly taking in a bunch of ketones as well? Yeah. Yeah. Insulin resistant state is not promoting, you know, a natural state of ketosis. The problem is, I think that then people in general will blame the ketogenic diet because, you know, usually mm-hmm. right. <laughs> so we wait when it's not the case. So yeah, we really have to be careful and be very critical about these new products. Yeah. Yeah. Research yeah. thoroughly. Yeah. Well, along those lines, um, Doug, do you want to help and uh, give us a quick recap of where we were at last week and uh, just so for our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, what we were talking about and then we'll, we'll transition into uh, Gabby had some, uh, some mention of the, the health benefits of a ketogenic diet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so just to recap quickly what we were talking about last week, the, the, the ketogenic diet, what we, we keep uh, referring to here, is basically a, a diet where you um, get yourself from a state of burning mainly carbohydrates, which is essentially sugar, to um, to mainly burning fat. So uh, it's switching your body's fuel sources. Um, and you do this by lowering your carbohydrate intake uh, dramatically um, to making up, you know, generally, uh, you know, 30 grams or so of carbohydrate per day, but some people actually have to go lower than that. And there's actually nothing wrong with going to a zero-carb intake um, because the, the body can survive fine without actually taking in any carbohydrate. Um, and then by doing that, you kind of switch your body over into this fat-burning state. Um, suddenly, your body will have access to its own fat stores, so weight loss is, is very common, um, it, you know, if you need weight loss, of course. You know, not everybody does, so, um, uh, but it, it really is um, the ideal state for uh, the body to be in, um, burning this, uh, the, the proper fuel. Um, for it, so um, I, I think I think that pretty much covers it. But uh, if, if Gabby wanted to go into some of the the benefits, yeah, um, we know that the ketogenic diet is being researched with good results in Alzheimer's disease, in schizophrenia, um, several neurological diseases. Also, it's the um, it's the best. It seems to be the best diet for cancer because cancer cells thrive from sugar. So when the body uses the ketones as, a, uh, as for fuel, you know, uh, there's been reports of tumors shrinking or people going into, like, having their cancer disappear or have an increased um, life uh, expectancy. 
So that's very good. So there are lots of diseases, even, you know, diseases like odd, odd things like restless leg syndrome. And people even have reported increased better eyesight, you know, when they go on the diet. But as for general health benefits, like the average person can benefit, we have, um, I have a list here. It's very nice uh, from Keto Clarity, written by Jimmy Moore, who has been on the ketogenic diet for quite a while now, and he wrote this book last year. And um, it's a list, and it's been the, the same things that, you know, uh, people at the Net Forum have reported, basically natural hunger and appetite control, effortless weight loss and maintenance, mental clarity is a big one, uh, sounder, more restful sleep, normalized metabolic function, stabilized blood sugar and restored insulin sensitivity, lower inflammation levels, feelings of happiness, general well-being, lowered blood pressure, that's a big one, people have come up from prescription medicines, increased HDL cholesterol and reduced triglycerides, which is the best uh, lipid profile, you know, if you want to be protected against heart disease, uh, lowered or eliminated small LDL particles, which is really inflammatory, it is really the bad cholesterol. Then ability to go ability to go 12 or 24 hours between meals, you know, without having any issues at all. Use of stored body fat as the full source. Endless energy, eliminated heartburn, which is a big one. Most people think that you know that eating fat and meat is so bad, you know, for your digestion. While well, it is the country, people eliminate their heartburn. There is better fertility. Prevention of traumatic brain injury, that's one of the research fields that where the ketogenic diet is being used after, you know, after trauma of the brain because it has such an anti-inflammatory effect on the brain. There's improved immune system function, people get sick less. And slowed aging due to reduction in free radical production, improvements in blood chemistry in general, optimized cognitive function and improved memory, reduced acne breakouts, and other skin conditions, heightened understanding of how foods affect your body, definitely. <laughs> Improvements in metabolic health markers, faster and better recovery from exercise, and dec decreased anxiety and mood swings. So that's a, a small list of the benefits and that people do have reported, especially having more energy and feeling more stabilized, you know, like, you, like your brain really works. That's really a big one for the average person. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that a lot of those benefits um, that we see from the ketogenic diet, you know, from a lot of the longevity studies that I've seen, you know, the um, well, most of them were animal-based studies, but uh, all the uh, longevity markers, uh, you know, insulin sensitivity, improved cholesterol uh, levels and stuff like that, um, all of that was improved by caloric reduction. Um, you know, so take a 2,000 calorie diet, cut it in half, and you're going to live longer. Or you could go ketogenic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like um, a lot of those studies on um, calorie restriction, it, it actually turns out that um, the fat isn't, it doesn't actually come into that. So you could just release, reduce your overall calories, but if you keep your fat high, fat actually doesn't interfere um, with that fasted state. So um, hmm. you, can, you can keep your fat high, uh, reduce your protein and your carbohydrate, and get the same benefits as if you were reducing all your calories in total. 
So yeah, it makes like sense all... that rather than walking around hungry all the time, you just eat more fat. Yeah, going along with that, I, it's, it seems to me that, you know, the longevity studies, the reason why uh, all these animals and the people uh, were able to live longer uh, and had improved markers was because their insulin levels were lower. And yeah. what do we know that spikes insulin, the major proponent mm-hmm. is carbohydrate. Carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting yeah. example because, you know, when animals get sick, they refuse to eat. And, well, we humans usually have the same instinct, so, but we keep, like, you know, keep feeding a sick person, like, you must eat, you must eat to get better. Saltine, well, saltine. I'm not hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember that from when I was younger as well. It was uh, saltines and warm Coca-Cola. <laughs> warm coca-cola i've never heard of that it was it was warm it must have been something to do with the carbonation i'm not sure exactly why oh jeez. so doug do you want to uh to go into some of the points that you were talking about uh last week we went over transitioning a little bit and then we we didn't have quite enough time to get into uh troubleshooting and i know you had some stuff yeah. to cover on that today yeah yeah, sure. Well, um, as far as transitioning to the diet, um, it, there is a, it can be a bit tricky. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a certain inertia that's been developed from uh, being in uh, a sugar-burning state for the majority of your life. Um, so, you know, switching your body over to the fat-burning state can, can take some time. Um, people go through a tans- transition period that can sometimes be referred to as the low-carb flu. Um, where you kind of don't feel so good, um, low energy, uh, bad mood, those kind of things are pretty common just because, um, you know, your body isn't getting the carbohydrate that it's used to and it's not switched over into this fat burning mode. So you aren't getting um, the energy that you really need. Uh, And it takes some time for your body to kind of um, start developing the proper enzymes and just get used to um, depending on fat. So, um, Cravings are pretty common during this uh, period, um, just, again, because your, your body is craving energy, essentially. Um, but there's a few things that you can do to kind of help with this transition and make it, make it go a little bit easier. Um, first off, assisting your digestion at this point is pretty vital. Um, your body is just not used to taking in the amount of fat that you need to take in. Um, so ox bile can be very helpful, which is essentially just a bile supplement. Now, bile is necessary for... Um, emulsifying fats um, so that they can be digested properly. So an ox bile supplement is very recommended uh, during this time just to assist your body in breaking down these fats. Now, your body will get used to it and will start developing the enzymes in the bile itself. But um, in in the transition period, and, you know, even sometimes I'll still take it every once in a while if I have, uh, you know, a a certain meal that maybe doesn't feel like I'm digesting it so well. Um, Ox bile can be very helpful. Um, HCL, hydrochloric acid, not HCI, incidentally. A lot of people misspell it as HCI. It's HCL. Um, it, it comes in a form uh, known as betaine HCL when it's uh, being uh, supplemented. So that's another thing that can be very um, helpful uh, during transition. You know, uh, acid in the stomach is what uh, helps to denature proteins so that they can be digested. So, um, you know, on a carbohydrate diet um, based diet, you, uh, you, you don't tend to produce as much stomach acid. Um, but when you're taking in, um, you know, animal proteins, uh, you, you might need to uh, take in some of this HCL just to help you um, in the short term. 
Um, particularly vegetarians tend to have low stomach acid. Um, so if you are transitioning from a vegetarian diet to a ketogenic diet, that's definitely something that you would want to supplement. Um, another thing as well as zinc. Oh, sorry. No, sir, it was just to mention that, that that is why adding apple cider vinegar, you know, to food, yeah. it's also helpful. It's basically the same concept. Yeah, yeah. Any Anything acidic can be helpful, but apple cider vinegar in particular, lemon, uh, those sorts of things can be helpful as well. Yeah. Um, also, zinc. Uh, zinc is needed for stomach acid production. Um, and a lot of times people, uh, you know, when your stomach acid is low, you have difficulty chelating minerals. Um, and may not be absorbing the minerals from your diet that you need to be. So um, zinc is very good because it, it, it helps uh, with uh, stomach acid production. It's necessary for stomach acid production. Um, other minerals as well, uh, magnesium, potassium, um, those can be very helpful as well. Um, they're needed for uh, muscle relaxation. Uh, a common uh, side effect of, of the transition can be muscle cramping. Um, and it might just be that you don't have the levels of magnesium, potassium that you actually uh, need. Um, salt can also be very helpful at this point. Um, there's, you know, the whole salt myth could probably be a, a show in and of itself. Um, as long as you're taking in the proper kind of salt, a natural salt that is not a refined salt, um, it's actually very good for you and very necessary during um, the uh, transition to ketosis. Um, one thing that, that tends to happen is that you do, um, you, you're, you're uh, eliminating more water. Um, from your uh, from your body uh, when you when you switch over to uh, fat metabolism. So um, uh, salt is is very necessary for kind of you know where salt goes in the body, water follows. So you'll be eliminating a lot of salt, and you really need to be uh, replacing that. So a good uh, Celtic sea salt, um, Himalayan salt, real salt, any of those types of salts where they they still have the full mineral profile and they haven't had a lot of um, you know uh, additives. Uh, put into it. Um, those, those are really things that you need. Um, Doug, would it be fair one, to say? Oh, sorry. Would it be fair to say that a that a trace mineral supplement would help with that transition as well in in helping with the uh, the the water yeah. disposal, so to speak? Yeah, definitely. Well, a trace mineral. I, I actually personally think a trace mineral supplement is always a good idea. Um, okay. You know, just just to make sure that you're you're getting all those uh, all those minerals that your body needs for all the different processes and uh, biochemical reactions and enzymes and all those sorts of things. Trace mineral supplement is always a good idea, but yeah, during transition, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. One last one here, uh, carnitine. Um, carnitine is uh, uh, an amino acid that's needed for uh, shuttling fat into the mitochondria. So in order to be able to burn fat, um, your body needs to be able to have, uh, needs to have this carnitine to be able to shuttle that fat into the little uh, power plants in the cells called mitochondria. So um, that can be very helpful. That can also help with cramping. Um, and as I was mentioning before, with water, staying hydrated, very important. A lot of people need to see to uh, kind of up the amount of water that they're drinking um, more than they might be used to, uh, just because you are eliminating a lot of water. One thing that uh, is really noticeable when you first transition is that you lose a lot of water weight. Um, you know, some people might think that they're actually losing fat right away. You know, they lose 5, 10 pounds right off the bat as soon as they uh, – get themselves into fat burning mode. Um, but what that really is, is, is just losing water weight. We're basically, you know, the, the, the population that's in this carb burning mode is basically walking around bloated all the time from holding on to this extra water and uh, getting, um, get, converting yourself over to ketosis. You, you suddenly eliminate a lot of that water weight. Um, so 
but that being said, you want to make sure that you're staying hydrated. Uh, so, so increasing water uh, consumption is a, is a good idea. Um, yes. Yeah. I just want to mention that people who have had the highest ketone blood level measures measurements uh, um, around seven, which is very high. Usually it is because they are not drinking enough water, and it happened to me, for example, because I was doing a lot of exercise at the same time, and mm. just drinking more and more water, you know, enough minerals, and my blood ketones stabilized on um, a normal range, which is between one and three in blood, millimolar. Oh, that's great. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. So the, the keys the keys appear to be then more fat, more water Yeah. in general. Yeah. More fat is definitely a big one. And, 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 you know, we covered this a little bit last week, but people really need to, you know, be aware um, that they probably aren't doing enough fat. You know, I, I, people really resist the idea of uh, doing calculations and measurements and figuring out how much of, of everything that they, they need. But I actually find that um, it's good to get a marker of how much you actually need. Because if you're just kind of, you know, having your pork chop and throwing a scoop of fat on there and thinking, well, that's got to be enough because, you know, there's so much fat here, uh, chances are it's not. Um, you really do need to be taking in about 80% of your calories from fat, and that is a lot of fat. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, we were mentioning last week that uh, a couple of helpful things for getting those fat levels up, doing fatty drinks, um, butter tea, butter coffee, butter... Uh, Cocoa, you know, any of those things can be very helpful. You can use ghee if you're not uh, if you're not good with butter. Um, the fat bomb recipe that we did last week very helpful for for getting those fat levels up. Um, because yeah, if you're not taking in enough fat, then you're just gonna those low carb flu symptoms are just gonna continue. So that's yeah. Uh, and if you're not and if you're not eating enough fat, you're gonna overeat protein, and that's yeah. That's you know that's really bad. You don't really you really don't want to do that. You know it overtaxes your uric acid levels, your kidneys, and you know, and the ketogenic diet can be used even to heal kidney problems. But just as long as people moderate their protein consumption. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's going important too. That's with, sorry, uh, going along with you know not getting enough fat and uh, something that we mentioned you know just talking before the show was. You know, a lot of the reason why people don't eat enough fat is because, you know, in our society where we're not used to eating fat, we have no kind of context to put it in. So, yeah. you know, where for somebody who's just going through the transition and they've not eaten a whole lot of fat before, you know, a, you know, a couple of tablespoons of butter to them might be like, oh, man, this is just so much. This has got to be enough. When in actuality, when you, you know, plug in the numbers to see how much you really need, you need like three or four times that per meal. And that's mm -hmm. just something that, again, because they don't have the context to put it in, it's just not something that they're aware of. Right. Yeah. I think Along the low-fat programming has really, really affected us as well. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, even though, you know, you might do some reading and do the research and realize, okay, no, fat isn't bad at all. It, it's amazing how that kind of mentality can still stick with you. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, get, I, I do think that getting kind of a, a good um, – guideline of how much fat you actually need is, is, a, is a good way, particularly at the start. Mm -hmm. Well, along those lines, we have a, a caller who has a question about uh, transitioning. Um, so let's go to the caller. Hi, caller. Can you uh, tell us your name and where you're calling from? Hi, I'm uh, Bahar from the Netherlands. Hi, Bahar. Hi, Bahar. Hi. 
What is your question say, that you had today? Yes. Uh, say you're uh, in ketosis for quite some time, and for a couple of days you have a lot of carbs or too much protein. I was wondering what's the best way to get back on keto, like which supplements to take or which kind of foods can help with that. Well, actually, the best thing you can do would is, definitely uh, be a good one. Yeah, but I think the best thing you can do is actually fast. By fasting, yeah. you actually are getting. That's probably the fastest way to get your body back into fat burning mode. Because when it doesn't have uh, high blood sugar anymore and it's not, there's no carbohydrate available. Um, particularly if you've been in the ketogenic diet for a long time, um, your body will quickly transition back into burning fat stores. So doing like a day-long okay. fast, even a half-day fast, is is a, is a pretty good day, a good, good way to get yourself back on track. But yeah, like Adam said, carnitine is definitely a good one. Carnitine, okay. Not completely fasted, um, but uh, adding in something like fatty bone broth or fruit coffee or something like that, that's not going to affect the insulin levels. We'll still kind of, you know, help you jumpstart uh, back into ketosis. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Help. Yeah, no problem. Sure. Thanks for calling, Bahar. Okay. Thanks for the show. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye. And uh, along those lines, like, Doug, when you say fasting, how, like, what's an approximation of uh, how long that would take? Let's say I do a, a one-day fast. Am I Am I just back in ketosis after a day, you know, or is it taking two or three days or do I need to fast first and then start eating fat and then it's going to be a couple of days? What do you think about that time frame? Well, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule with it. I think that people are very, uh, very different. Um, mm. But I'd say, you know, if you're if you're um, if you're hungry, um, you know, your body is is pretty quickly going to start, um, you know, uh releasing fat stores and uh, you'll start burning your own fat. It might only take about half a day, something along those lines. Um, like Adam was saying, you could, you could eat fat at that time. Um, and that does certainly make a, uh, a, um, you know, a fast much easier if you're doing what's called a fat fast, where basically all you're eating is fat. So, I mean, it's not spiking your insulin levels and you are kind of still in a fasted state. You're still, um, you know, your body is still producing ketones and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, you you know maybe if you did like a butter tea or something like that, and just decided you're only going to stick with that for for a half day or a day, then you know or fatty bone broth, that's another really good one. Um, those that that I think you would pretty pretty quickly get back yourself back into a ketogenic state. Now during transition, that might not be the case. Um, if you haven't been on the ketogenic diet for very long, um, and your body isn't really used to being in that state, it may take you a bit longer. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between uh, ketosis and keto adaptation. Yeah, exactly. So you, you'll go into ketosis pretty quick, um, but whether or not your your muscles um, are still keto adapted, uh, that's very much dependent upon how long you were uh, in a ketogenic state before uh, you uh, kicked yourself out. However, mm-hmm. so it's also considered a good idea once you are keto adapted. You know, your natural state of ketosis like uh, even to overeat, you know, once or twice per week, you know, and that will be done with intermittent fasting. It comes natural. Like you eat a lot one day and next day you're like, oh, I don't feel like eating nothing at all, you know. And that, you know, is generally a good idea to keep up with a good metabolism tone, so to speak. 
So some people overeat protein, others do a little bit more carbs, but yeah, like that's the concept. Like you ate a lot one day, you will not be hungry at all, you know, the next day. So you fall naturally yeah. into ketosis. <laughs> That's and I think there are for, for weight loss. Mm. I was just going to say it was good for weight loss to do uh, something similar to that called calorie cycling. You know, you, if you're trying to lose weight, you don't want your metabolism to suddenly drop um, as a means to like hold on to the body uh, that it has. So you do this occasional once or twice a week. You'll um, up your caloric intake, uh, preferably through fat. And that will keep your metabolism from dropping and uh, help you to lose weight as well as um, keeping your uh, sensitivity up and, and so on. Right. I, I was just going to say that I think it's it's kind of uh, natural to, um, you know, you can't be so strict that you're you're 100% on the diet all the time. I mean, there's social events, there's family events, like these kinds of things where, yeah, you know, you're probably not going to be able to stick with the diet as closely as, as you would if you were just at home uh, doing your own thing. So um, I think it's important not to stress too much about these things as well. Um, you know, you just kind of get back on track as soon as you can and, um, and you know, try and, try and take some of this advice and, and get yourself back on track. Would you think that uh, during a keto adapted state that these uh, small, let's say that you're, you know, you're eating with your family and they don't have the same diet or you're like at a business luncheon and there's just nothing else. Um, and, you know, I, of course you could just not eat, but, you know, there we all know there are situations where you want to be polite and certain things like that. Um, so if you have a salad that might have a few things in it that has a higher carb content, are you better able to handle that uh, in a keto adapted state? I would say yes, because also you, your insulin is more much, it's much more sensitive, you know, so you can handle better those discretions. And then what you usually add to a salad doesn't amount much more than 40 grams of carbs, you know, so usually I have, I have seen this tendency that people when they're doing the ketogenic diet, they actually overestimate, um, you know, they actually uh, do it very strictly, like they could do a little bit more carbs, you know, and that's why mm. it's a good idea to have a keto meter or the, you know, just a general guideline to know how much ketones you're producing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could eat like a whole pound of broccoli and it's only going to give you like uh, 20 net carbs per mm. pound. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's really not as, <laughs> as drastic as some people kind of like think. You know, oh, I had, you know, one little broccoli, one little piece. I'm suddenly going to be out of ketosis. It's not exactly that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's that's my experience, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there are certain foods that you should never do. Um, you know, yeah. there, there are certain things. Like, you certainly shouldn't go back to, to grains, you know, just because you're at a birthday party. You know, don't give yourself free license to have the cake. Um, because, you know, those, those things are actually quite damaging. Um, you know, the carbs are one thing. Your body can probably handle a little bit more carb every once in a while. But, uh, but yeah, like, I, I would still stay away from things like sugar and, and grains and legumes and those sorts of things because they, they have a, um, a more um, dramatic effect on, on uh, the body. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that is, that's a very important concept. It's toxic food. You know, it has gluten, it has lectins, we have carbon in the previous shows. 
So if people are going to choose their carbs, you know, choose them wisely, like, you know, from vegetables that people tolerate and uh, avoid, you know, those foods that are very high in toxic loads. And yes, definitely all grains should not be there on your, on, <laughs> when you choose carbs. Yeah. I've, I've got to ask while we're on the topic, uh, what, what do you guys think about blueberries? Because during blueberry season, that is my weakness. <laughs> oh, blueberries. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so obviously, you don't want to. Yeah, no. Sorry, go ahead, blueberries, Gabby. They're like, you know, they're considered very low in carbs and very nutritious. But some people are so sensitive to carbs, they cannot do any fruits at all because once they start with one blueberry, for example, it's just the next one and the next one. And next, yeah. you're mm. craving like ice cream and, you know, sodas yeah. and it gets out of mm. control, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, not just, you know, uh, carbohydrate sensitivity, but the effect that fructose has on the body uh, sure. is not good. So, I mean, it's not exactly bad to have some some raspberries or blueberries or strawberries every once in a while. That's not a big deal. Uh, you just don't want to make it habitual because then uh, you're going to run into other issues. Yeah, yeah, and not to overindulge. And certainly, I would imagine, to be physically active during that time so that you're not just, mm-hmm. you know, eating a handful of blueberries and then sitting on a couch. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yes, the, in terms of high-intensity exercise, your body really doesn't use a whole lot of glycogen, and what glycogen uh. it does use for high-intensity exercise can be replenished by the body without a whole lot of carbohydrates um, in the course of 24 hours. So, I mean, it's it's better to be physically active if you're having a lot of um, something like that, but it's not necessary, and I would I avoid using that as an excuse, like, oh, I can just work out sure. later and be fine. It's, yeah. Sure. Yeah, Jonathan, what you could do is, like, you know, when seasonally available, just like in previous, in ancient times, you know, ideally during the summer, you know, when your body's in a state of, like, oh, it's reproduction time, it's summertime, you know, there's lots of fruits, but in wintertime, when, when we shouldn't be really, like, doing carbs, so many carbs, and that's... Uh, it's usually a better state for hibernation, eating mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. Uh, on the ketosis. Yeah. Sure. Well, Adam, what you said there um, kind of brings me to our next point that I uh, was going to ask you to speak a little bit on the uh, protein myth that I think you just touched on and um, some topics about exercise and ketosis. Do you want to go through that for a minute? Sure. Yeah. Um, just a couple of things that I wrote down during the discussion so far. Um, I thought it was interesting that I was reading a uh, a study on humans and they found that just uh, people on a regular diet, you know, standard American diet that were supplemented with L-carnitine, uh, it actually increased their fat oxidation um, independent of other variables and um, it didn't have any uh, increase in protein synthesis and it didn't uh, stop protein uh, catabolism, but it did increase fat oxidation. So I thought that was really interesting and I kind of wanted to bring that up as just an interesting little point, um, mm. especially mm-hmm. for, you know, somebody who goes out and keeps those for a little bit. Uh, it's just something that's, you know, worth knowing, I think. Uh, as well, when you were going over supplements that are good for um, people on a ketogenic diet or starting lipase, uh, you mentioned ox bile. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, it's wonderful stuff. But a component of that would be lipase, uh, yeah. lipase being that the body produces to break down fat. And 
and you know you can supplement with hydrochloric acid, but that's mostly used for protein uh, okay. in terms of breaking it down. So if you're wanting to specifically target uh, the ability to break down fats, then lipase would be a really good enzyme to have on hand for whenever you've got you know a fat bomb or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then my last little kind of thing that I wrote down, um, vegetarianism and low hydrochloric acid. I just kind of want to talk about that for a second, just kind of interesting anecdote. Um, because when you're eating vegetables, you know, you, your body produces in your saliva the enzymes necessary to break it down. So it's not exactly necessary for your body to have a whole lot of hydrochloric acid when it's already pretty much broken down um, by your saliva. Um, but what happens or seems to happen is people are just like, <laughs> because of the way that certain foods are made, like Doritos, for instance, you know, you you just can't just sit there and, you know, do 30 chews per a mouthful of Doritos. It's literally like one chip, one chip swallow. So there's no really uh, any digestion going on in the mouth like it should be. So I just kind of wanted to throw that in there as something that I thought was interesting um, in terms of why people would have problems going from vegetarianism to a ketogenic diet that's high on fat is because their body is uh, used to producing all the salivary enzymes necessary to break down their foods, but they so they don't need the hydrochloric acid that's necessary on a ketogenic diet. And I just mm-hmm. kind of wanted to throw that in before I jumped into the the protein stuff. Right. All right. So what I've got here, um, again with kind of like, uh, again with supplements. Um, talking about sodium and potassium, magnesium, chromium, stuff like that, you've got uh, sodium requirements. So when you're exercising, you're going to be sweating a lot. And then when you're sweating, you're also excreting sodium as well as potassium, magnesium, and so on and so forth. So if you are going to be physically active, I would definitely suggest you have at least three grams of sodium uh, per day and at least one gram of potassium per day, and then going up from there, depending on how physically you active you are. Uh, and then going into, like, protein, um, it kind of depends on your goals uh, for going into the ketogenic diet as to, you know, how much protein you really need. And um, so... You know, if you're wanting to build muscle or if you're wanting to lose weight or if you're wanting to um, live as long as possible, uh, it's all kind of it's all going to play into this. But there has been absolutely zero evidence benefit above 0.6 grams per pound of protein. So if you uh, get into, you know, uh, an exercise regimen, uh, you can look at uh, magazines, and there will be supplement ads that will tell you you need at least one gram per pound of protein, or you need at least two grams or three grams per pound, and that is just such a farce. It is all about them selling more supplements. Yeah. So starting <laughs> off with, <laughs> there is absolutely, for all the listeners out there, no need to go beyond 0.6 grams per pound unless you're on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, 
Can so, I, I just wanted to say I mean, one thing. Uh, sorry, Adam, I just wanted to say one thing. Uh, I think people should know that you're, you're recommending uh, at least one gram of potassium. That's actually a very um, high amount of potassium um, as, as far as supplementation goes. Most supplements you will find are only 99 milligrams. Um, so that would be mm-hmm. like 10, 10 caps per day or something like that. You can find some professional uh, uh, brands that uh, go as high as 250 milligrams. Um, but uh, just be aware that uh, that that you, you you won't find a one gram pill of potassium. So so um, it, it is quite a bit. So just keep that in mind. Oh yeah, no, it, it and my way around that has been to get some potassium citrate or some low salt mm-hmm. um, as a means of getting the extra potassium. And because I know I personally, because of my activity levels, I feel better when I have upwards of two or three sometimes, depending. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it just it it kind of depends and varies, but I, I understand what you're saying, and I think that was a really good idea, a good point to mention. So you can do potassium, uh, potassium citrate, uh, for instance. You know, I take that because I had kidney stones, um, mm-hmm. so I use that to to help lower my risk, so to speak. Um, but getting back into yeah. um, protein, um, another thing that I wanted to mention. Um, that's kind of rampant in the uh, ketogenic uh, forums online is this idea of gluconeogenesis uh, being completely Mm. supply-driven. So we know that we don't need more than 0.6 grams per pound. And I've gone a little bit above that um, and not seen a whole lot of change. But um, there is this idea that you know, any excess protein that you have beyond what your body needs instantly turns into chocolate cake, so to speak. <laughs> sure. It, it's not exactly the case. I've I've looked at a couple of um, different studies. Um, there was one in particular done in 1936, and their idea was that 50% of protein turned into glucose. And so what they did was they had people... Um, eat in one sitting 160 grams of protein, which should have equaled to, according to their theory, um, like the same insulin spike as 80 grams of glucose. And Mm -hmm. what actually ended up happening is when they supplemented with the 80 grams of glucose, they got this huge insulin spike. But when they did the 160 grams of protein, it was more or less stable. Mm. So... I thought that was really interesting. You know, um, you do want to watch your protein because you get into other issues, but it's not necessarily a um, a problem with uh, blood glucose levels suddenly shooting up through the roof because you had a, you know, an extra piece of bacon or an extra sausage. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And that really actually seems um, rather reasonable, if if I may. Uh, with a quick question on okay. this. So if we're talking 0.6 grams of protein per body weight, and let's say I weigh 200 pounds. So for me, that should be uh, 120 grams of protein per day is basically kind of what I need. That's like my base level, right? So Not that would base be... level. That would be the, uh, the maximum to which your body could essentially assimilate the protein. Okay. Uh, the, the study that they did that I you know, that I got that from, they were suggesting that because um, it was only just kind of like a median 
uh, for, or sorry, not a median, but it was the upper limit to what the people within the study uh, were uh-huh. able to to utilize. So they had an extra two standard deviations um, as like their upper limit for recognition. So the 0.64 is actually not a starting point, but it's actually an end point. End point. That makes a little more sense because I was trying to calculate. It just shows like, let's say, approximately a quarter pound of uh, like a a quarter pound burger, essentially, of of ground beef Mm -hmm. is going to be approximately 20 grams of protein. So I'm actually looking at my high end being three pounds of ground beef a day. And that's quite a bit. I certainly don't eat that much. Although I probably could, <laughs> but uh, so, or actually, no, I take that back. That would be what we're looking at—a pound and a half. So not three pounds. Sorry, miscalculation there. But so we're saying, like, for me, for a two hundred pound person, if my my essential max of useful protein would be a pound and a half of of like ground beef per day. Beef, yeah. Okay. And that would be if you were wanting to build uh, as much muscle as was possible uh, as quickly as possible. You know, I see. If you, weren't, if you were just trying to, you know, uh, maintain your body weight and you didn't really necessarily care about adding new muscle, um, you know, you can drop down to about half that and probably be fine. Sure. Interesting. So Cool. So I didn't mean to yes. interrupt your train of thought there. No, no, no. Um, as far as um, you know, where the starting point is, that's a little bit less clear. Um, mm-hmm. again, it depends on, you know, your goals and what you're, what you're doing in your lifestyle and stuff like that. But, um, I think the, the recommended daily allowance, uh, given by, um, the FDA and, and all of them, I think that's a little low. I'm pretty sure that that is like if you're in a catatonic state, um, you know, if you're just sitting in a coma, you know, you don't need more than uh, like 50 grams a day. But, you know, for anybody who actually like gets up and goes to the bathroom and goes to work, you know, you're going to actually need a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to note that those uh, those figures are influenced a lot by um you know, how much uh, aid they're giving to countries that have, um, uh, you know, that are essentially starving, you know, that they, they need um, mm-hmm. food kind of shipped in. So they're, they're calculating the absolute bare minimum needs as far as protein is concerned for, for those, uh, those countries. So, yeah, t- take it with a grain of salt that uh, they're, um, you know, th- that, that protein requirement is what the average uh, active person would need. And something since we're, you know, talking about the ketogenic diet. Um, so when you're on the ketogenic diet and your body's producing all these ketones, the ketones are protein sparing, both in terms of um, the body's metabolism, uh, you know, getting energy for fuel and stuff, but also uh, protein sparing in the sense that the ketones will actually be utilized in terms of repair. So, uh, uh your physical activity isn't necessarily uh, an, uh, a requirement for, you know, a huge bump in protein. The, um, what was it? The, oh shoot, I can't remember. The, like, 0.8 grams uh, per kilo, I think is a pretty decent um, recommendation. 
uh, for people to, you know, go as a starting off point. You know, if you're not very physically active, if you have a desk job and you don't uh, really exercise, you don't have any physically active hobbies or anything like that, I think that's a pretty good uh, recommendation um, because you're not going to have a um, – it's not uh, – because of your lack of physical activity, you're not going to need any uh, a whole lot of protein to, to rebuild your body. Um, and then, that is also you know, good. Sorry to add, and I just wanted to say that that is know. also a good number because that's the requirement for people who have problems with kidney problems, like kidney failure. Like mm -hmm. eating no more than that, 0.8 grams per kilo, is uh, it's usually what it's advised. So for people who want to restore their kidney function or see if the ketogenic diet helps, that's a good number to keep by. Yeah, yeah I think so too. Um, and then in terms of like the amount of physical activity to kind of like gauge, um, you know, where you should go from there. So if you're starting off at 0.8 grams per pound and then the like absolute limit is about 1.4 grams uh, per kilo, sorry, so 0.8 grams per kilo to 1.4 grams per kilo, um, kind of like giving people a an idea as to what that really translates to. So the 1.4 grams per kilo, um, that would be for novice bodybuilders. So somebody who doesn't really have a whole lot of muscle, but they want to get into natural bodybuilding um, just because, um, you know, for whatever reason, they just want to build more muscle. If you've uh, not done any exercise training before, then that would be the kind of person that needs that, that amount. But as you become more muscular and as you become more acquainted to uh, performing certain movements and you become more economical on those movements, your requirement for protein is actually going to go down. So, you know, uh, where you might start off needing 1.2 to 1.4 after a year or two, you're only going to need maybe one gram per kilo or 1.2 grams per kilo. So it's just like this idea that um, in our society, because uh, fats are so demonized and on a ketogenic diet, you can't um, eat a whole lot of carbohydrates and be in ketosis. It's like, well, where am I supposed to get my calories from? Protein. No, not yeah. exactly. You really don't need a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just talking about this uh, this morning here at the house and, and noticing that uh, olive oil, uh, we have a, a big jug of nice organic uh, olive oil, and that, that has quite a bit of calories. Um, I think it was 120 calories per tablespoon, uh, which is, is pretty hefty. Mm -hmm. So I've um, I had heard a recommendation elsewhere, and this I haven't tried yet, but is to basically blend olive oil and grass-fed butter together to create kind of a uh, kind of a creamy butter sauce, and then use that uh, as mm -hmm. a supplementation with meals to get to get more calories from fat. Well, actually, Finney and Volick, in one of their books, I can't remember if it was the Art and Science of Low Carb Living or Low Carb Performance. I can't remember which one, mm -hmm. but they analyzed the different fat. Um, you know, the monosaturated and uh, the saturated, um, they looked at the different percentages and levels in each of different, uh, the fats that they had, so like olive oil and butter and stuff like that. And they actually found that a mixture of half olive oil, half butter was essentially the exact same thing as human body fat. Mm. Interesting. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, and it's actually pretty tasty. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder if they looked into lard at all. Because I know lard is yeah, it was in there. It had. Super... It was pretty close, um, but I mean, olive oil and butter for whatever reason was just, you know, mm. on point. It was right on the nose. Hmm. I just remember reading a study on uh, lard, you know, but they it was done in animals. I think it was the mouse mice, <laughs> and uh, the mice, you know, had you know it had an inflammatory effect, you know, because people. There's a lot of research on omega threes and fish oil, but nobody wants to touch lard, you know, so to speak. Yeah. But this, this study, at least this one study, showed that it, it did have an anti-inflammatory effect, you know. Mm. Yeah, I believe it. I think it's just I know at least here it's uh, it's hard to find good lard. They do have lard at the store, but it's got um, shoot now I can't remember the name. Of the well, yeah, BHT. BHA BHT. That's what I'm thinking of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nasty preservative. You really, really don't want to be eating that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and the commercial lard that you buy is is white, almost like Crisco or something uh-huh. like that. So it's it's best to just save your bacon grease and your, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a jar and use that. Sure. Yeah. Somebody in the Absolutely. chat room is asking about coconut oil and medium chain fatty acids. Um, have a word on that because uh, some people are sensitive to coconut, even tolerated very well. But those who tolerate it well, it is a very good fat because it promotes um, ketosis. You know, so for keto adaptation, it's actually it's actually suggested to have a, a medium chain triglycerides uh, supplement, MCT supplement, just to mm-hmm. induce that that state of keto adaptation on a more easily. Yeah, yeah. For sure. those I can't do the coconut, the coconut-derived MCT oil. Uh, butter actually has a pretty high percentage of MCTs in it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. Butter. butter People ghee. forget about butter. They think of coconut oil, but butter also has MCT. Yeah. I don't. I had heard something very interesting recently from uh, David Asprey, who's the uh, the bulletproof coffee uh, kind of guru. Um, and he's extremely knowledgeable, uh, in, uh, in, you know, we call biohacking and, uh, and understanding the ins and outs of the different aspects of, um, of what you're eating. But he had brought up that there, it's very important to pay attention to what kind of coconut oil you're getting because some of it is made through a process of fermentation where they basically throw all the coconuts into a pit, um, allow them to ferment and then scrape the oil off the top. And so it can actually contain mycotoxins uh if it's not mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. extracted in a, in a proper way right i don't know if you guys have have or no, uh, i've not i've not heard that, that yeah you know you want to look for one that's been um expeller pressed or um centrifuge um so uh-huh. that basically means they're taking either either they're they're just squeezing the coconuts to get the fat out of it or they're putting it into a centrifuge which basically spins it and all the fat kind of gets uh spun out of it um, those sure. are both low heat, uh, low heat, um, ways of, uh, getting, getting the, uh, the fat out of the coconut. And, um, yeah, much better in terms of, um, rancidity, uh, mycotoxins, that sort of thing. So you know, the better, better quality coconut oils, they'll, they'll say on them that they're either expeller press or centrifuge. Sure. So best probably not to get the, you know, $5, four pound container from, right. from Walmart. Unless right. it, you know, unless something <laughs> no. says that it's cold pressed. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of great information here today. Um, I think if you guys are down with it, let's uh, let's take a little break and go to Zoya's uh, pet health segment. She's going to continue what she was talking about last week regarding um, uh, emergency situations uh, with pets with a little more inf- information in that regard. And then uh, we'll come back and talk a little further. And then we have um, Caesar soup for our recipe today. It's a very fatty, fatty soup. So uh, let's uh, let's see what Zoya has brought to the table here today. Hey, Jonathan. Hello, and welcome to the Natural Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Last week, we talked about signs your pets may have in case of emergency situations. These are situations that require you to take your pet to the veterinarian as soon as possible, but sometimes you are unable to do it due to various circumstances, or can take them immediately or soon enough. Maybe your car is broken, or maybe you live too far away, or maybe five feet of snow blocked the entrance to your house. Unfortunately, with the upcoming ice age and recent extreme weather, this scenario is very real. So let's talk about various situations where you yourself can provide a basic emergency care. Please take note that not only I'm still a student and the advice I offer you is based on my own research and studies, but that it is also based on the so-called East European School. And some of the substances that can be found in every household here may not be found in North American household, for example. But hopefully the following information will be useful for you anyway. If it's a bee sting or a wasp sting, you can see your dog being restless or maybe even crying in pain. So what you can do is first of all to remove the sting and then for 20-30 minutes to apply a cotton wool tampon drenched in either alcohol in a peroxide, or to be exact, the hydrogen peroxide, or potassium permanganate, and then after it, to apply iodine solution, and also coal. If it's a snake bite, you can see that uh, your dog also may cry in pain and will be restless, but there will be also swelling and maybe a redness in the place of the bite. Uh, maybe there is also, uh, your dog will be vomiting, or there will be hypersalivation. So what you need to do is to remove as much as blood as possible from the, from the wound. And then to apply a cotton wool tampon drenched in uh, vinegar, and also maybe apply iodine solution. And then if, if, if it's one of the extremities that is, uh, you know, the bite is on, on the one of the extremities, then you can apply a constrictor for 30 or 40 minutes to basically prevent uh, from the poison spreading. But then, in any case, you need to try to get your pet as soon as possible to the veterinarian. If it's a tick bite and you can actually see the tick, try to remove it, but don't remove it by force. Uh, if you can't remove it easily, then... Uh, put a bit of oil or alcohol or petrol on the tick. Tick supposed to fall by itself. If it didn't happen, then try to remove it by uh, twisting it on its axis a bit. And then it should help. Now let's talk about foreign bodies. 
or specifically right now foreign bodies in the throat. Maybe your dog has fallen something. It can be something sharp like needle or maybe uh, a bone. Uh, my advice is to never give cooked bones, especially uh, bird bones to your dog, only uh, raw bones. If it's a larger bone, then, then it's okay. But in case of a chicken, for example, uh, preferably give, them, uh, give it to them raw because otherwise they, they can be a real emergency case if it gets stuck. So in such situation, the dog is restless, uh, there can be hypersalivation, and they can be vomit uh, mixed with blood. Uh, so in such situation, you can first of all to hold your dog, and then try to open uh, his mouth, take a spoon, and apply it to the root, to the base of the tongue, and keep it down, and then with your both fingers try to remove the object. If you still can't remove the object easily, then you, and there is a respiratory distress, you should try to get to the veterinarian as soon as possible. If the foreign object is in the eye, or you can see uh, your dog's eye, uh, basically tearing or red or the dog is scrubbing it and trying to remove something then take water that was already boiled but not uh, hot uh, maybe warmish or cold or maybe you have calcium permanganate solution try to rinse it uh, trying to rinse the eye uh, but don't scrub it in the process if the foreign object is in your dog's ear and you, you can see the dog shaking uh, his head or maybe trying, you know, with, the, with paws to remove something from his ears. What you can do is, uh, if, if there is something that you can't remove by yourself, then take uh, your pet to the veterinarian as soon as possible. But maybe you can try to remove it yourself. If it's an insect, then uh, put 5 to 10 drops of vegetable oils to the ear and uh, try to remove the insect by yourself. If it's water, put your dog on the side and uh, shake his head uh, so maybe the water will be removed by itself. Or maybe uh, maybe try to remove it by cotton wool tampon. I hope that for now you were able to notice that there is nothing extraordinary about those uh, basically emergency situations or emergency first help uh, because it's it's really logical so to say and many cases that can be applied to humans can be applied to pets as well you just need to be careful and understand that your pets are you, you can talk to you can't talk to your pet and explain to them what is happening so you basically need to hold them tight or maybe um, try to relax them a bit so we'll, they will be more you know, more easily handled in such situations that are already stressful for both the pet and you. Okay, so if it's a splinter, then you may see uh, your dog trying to remove, it, to remove it or maybe he licks the paw too much. Too much. So what you can do is to remove the splinter, uh, to apply iodine solution or maybe alcohol to the place, and then to apply a gauze bandage. If it's a 
complicated or serious situation, then you can uh, surely apply to veterinarian as well. Next, let's talk about various wounds. It can be as a result of a cut or something else. And considering uh, the situation in the US where uh, police is shooting dogs almost every day, uh, this situation, this information can be really useful for you. Now, first of all, if you have a wound, you can uh, do something like this. You need to either shave or trim uh, the fur, the coat around the wound, so you can take scissors for it. After it, you need to take uh, hydrogen peroxide solution and clean the place around the wound and then to apply iodine solution to the wound. Uh, all of this is basically intended to disinfect the wound. And then, what you can do, if it's a small wound, that you, you can apply adhesive uh, sticking plaster on it. And if it's a cut wound, then you can even in emergency situation uh, and if you don't have anything else and you can stitch the wound you can apply a bit of um, uh, a, a bit of a glue you know the instant glue and then uh, you can bandage the wound and try to get uh, to the veterinarian as soon as possible now in case of bleeding or hemorrhaging what you need to do is uh, to basically uh, clean the wound in the way that was already described and then apply tight bandage uh, with one layer or two layers. If there are two layers for the bandage, you can put uh, a bit of ice in between the layers. Now, if the bleeding or hemorrhaging is happening in one of the extremities of the dog, uh, then you should put the dog um, in such a way that the wounded extremity will be up. And then remember that if there is a very strong uh, bleeding, for example from the artery, you need to apply constrictor above the wound. And then uh, every hour you need to relax a bit the constrictor to remove it for one minute, but still to apply pressure on the artery above the wound with your finger. And then, after the bleeding stops, you need to give to your dog, maybe even by force, uh, a bit of, uh, you know, warmish tea or coffee. There is a logic in it, or maybe even a sweet uh, warmish tea or coffee because uh, the, the explanation for it, the logic for it, is that uh, your dog lost a lot of fluids. And, uh, it, you know, before you get to the veterinarian, you need to replenish the supply also of glucose. So basically, uh, just like for humans, that after a serious shock, you give them tea uh, or something for the heart, like a coffee stimulant, the same you can do for your dog. Now in case of burns, there are all kinds of burns 
and uh, it depends on the, and the basically the treatment depends on the nature of the burn. But you need both. Uh, you, know, you need two basic things: water and neutralizing solution. So, if, for example, uh, the cause of the burn is acid, you need to create a sodium bicarbonate solution to neutralize it, to treat it. A sodium bicarbonate solution can be made with one teaspoon of sodium bicarbonate on a glass, on one glass of water. And if the burn was caused by alkali, then you need to create a vinegar solution. One teaspoon of vinegar on one glass of water. And if the burn was caused by quicklime, then you need to apply oil, some kind of vegetable oil on the burn. And if, uh, if it's an extremity that is burned, you can put the burned extremity for 20 minutes in cold water. Of course, there are other emergency situations, and we are going to finish talking about them in another show, and also about basic things you should have in your house. For now, thank you for listening, and hope you found this information useful. Okay, thank you very much, Zoya. That was uh, Zoya with the Pet Health Corner. Some great information on, on how to treat uh, emergencies with your pets. Um, now that we're back, I think uh, we we have a, <clears throat> a topic that we still wanted to cover a little bit today. And Doug had some information on troubleshooting the uh, the ketogenic diet, uh, specific difficulties that people might be having, and, uh, and how to deal with those and identify those. Um, Doug, do you want to go over that for a little bit? Yeah, I'll try. I'll try to be quick because I know we're we're coming up on the end here. But um, there's a couple of things that people uh, tend to run into on the ketogenic diet. So I just wanted to come through, go through a couple of those, and, and offer some uh, possible solutions for it. Um, the one thing that that you hear fairly frequently is that people tend to eat, uh, tend to get sick from eating too much fat. It's not too much fat. It's just more fat than the body is is used to handling. So during transition, in particular. Um, people can kind of feel like a little bit nauseous or, or something like that after eating a big fat, fatty meal. Um, it's important here to support your digestion. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, ox bile, uh, really good. Um, as Adam was mentioning earlier, lipase, uh, those things are just things that can assist your body in kind of breaking down uh, the fat. Um, so, yeah, until your body is kind of more used to taking in that much fat, these kinds of things can be very helpful. HCL can be uh, very helpful as well, not necessarily for fat, um, but it will help to kind of uh, denature the proteins so that they can be broken down, and it does release some of the fat from those pro- protein matrices. Um, another thing is uh, with, with the whole feeling nauseous thing, um, sometimes our people are actually eating too much of the kind of connective tissue from, uh, from meats. So uh, particularly in things like ribs, um, you know, you have this connective tissue that kind of surrounds the bones, um, and it, it gets really tasty when it's uh, when you're slow cooking and it gets all kind of gelatinous and stuff. But eating too much of that can sometimes really overwhelm digestion. HCL can help with that, um, but uh, maybe just not eating too much of it can can be helpful as well. If you do find yourself um, in a state where you have um, eaten uh, more than your body can handle of, of fat or this uh, this protein matrix, um, you uh, can always do something like peppermint tea or ginger tea. Those things can be quite helpful in, in kind of curbing 
um, nausea. Um, there's also uh, the issue, some people find that they're actually losing too much weight on the ketogenic diet. And this is particularly um, a point for people who are naturally thin. Um, and they, you know, they, they go on a ketogenic diet and suddenly they're shedding more weight um, and can start to panic because, uh, you know, they, they basically are wasting away. Um, really, the, the answer to this is to increase your caloric intake by taking in more fat. Um, resistance uh, exercise can also be very helpful with that. Um, but also, you want to check in with your digestion, too, um, and make sure that you're, uh, you know, digesting and absorbing everything properly. So digestive aids can help with that. Digestive enzymes, ox bile, HCL, all those sorts of things can be, can be helpful. Um, other people who might be um, a little bit heavier and find that they're not losing weight, um, important here to check your protein consumption. Um, I think Gabby was uh, mentioning earlier that uh, when people aren't doing enough fat and they don't really realize how much fat they're doing, the tendency is to up the protein because you still need to be taking in more calories. Um, so really check in with your protein consumption, check with your fat consumption. Um, if you are doing a lot of, um, of protein, you may find that your weight loss is stalling. Um, so yeah, just uh, j check in with that. Um, you also want to make sure you've removed all the inflammatory foods from the diet. Um, taking in anything that you're sensitive to, um, you know, and a lot of people tend to be in denial about these kinds of things. They're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, uh, with dairy products. But um, really, you, you, if you haven't taken them out for, um, you know, a good couple of weeks and then reintroduced them to see if, uh, if you are actually sensitive to them, you probably don't know. It's probably a hidden sensitivity. So if, you're, if you're, something in your diet is causing inflammation, that can certainly lead to, um, to uh, holding on to weight. Um, other anti, uh, sorry, other inflammatory uh, um, problems like uh, sleep. Make sure that you're sleeping properly, sleeping in a completely dark room, um, uh, using uh, natural sleep aids if you need to, like melatonin or maybe some herbs um, that can be helpful for that, like um, uh, passion flower or kava or something along those lines. Um, you might want to check on uh, toxicity or, you know, like heavy metals, those sorts of things. Um, if you are toxic, you might uh, find that you're, you're uh, inflamed. Um, intermittent fasting can also help with weight loss. Um, you know, we've given the idea a couple of times of uh, uh, for breakfast when you first wake up, not actually breaking your fast by uh, eating protein or carbohydrate, but uh, just sticking with fat in the morning. Um, so what that does is kind of extend the amount of time that you're fasting for. So you've just fasted all night while you're sleeping. But uh, if you extend that by doing something like a butter tea in the morning instead of uh, jumping right into, uh, you know, a big uh, breakfast, that can, uh, that can be helpful as well because you're forcing your body uh, to kind of burn its existing fat stores. Um, other issues, uh, some people run into blood sugar regulation issues. Um, if you are noticing symptoms of blood sugar swings, so like uh, crashing midday, um, getting really, really hungry and finding that you're, uh, <laughs> the term is sometimes referred to as hangry, where you're hungry and angry kind of at the same time, you have these, these, uh, these terrible bad moods kind of come over you. Um, chances are you're still having blood sugar swings. Um, you might not even be in ketosis. Uh, you might be producing ketones, but your body might still be relying on um, on carbohydrate and uh, insulin spikes to be able to get the fuel that it needs. Um, so again, probably too much protein um, or too much carbohydrate if you're still eating carbs. So uh, yeah, just check in with your with your ratios, up the fat if you can. Um, other problems that people tend to have: diarrhea can be a problem. 
Um, often what's the case in, in this situation is that people are overwhelming their body's ability to, uh, to digest the fat. So again, going with the fat digestion aids can be very uh, helpful. Um, other thing uh, that could be leading to diarrhea is if people are using a lot of uh, sugar alcohols like xylitol, erythritol, those sorts of things, um, they can cause digestive upset if you, if you kind of, again, overwhelm your body's ability to, uh, to take them in. So maybe easing back on those things can be helpful. Um, but it also could be that, uh, you know, you just don't have the proper balance of um, bacteria in, uh, in the digestive tract. So, you know, taking a probiotic, eating uh, fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, those things are a natural source of uh, a probiotic bacteria. Um, those things can be helpful as well. Um, on the opposite end of the uh, spectrum, there's constipation. Some people find when they switch to this diet, suddenly they are constipated. Um, it's important to establish whether or not you are actually constipated. Because if you are going extremely low carb and you don't have much uh, fiber in the diet, um, you actually will be going to the bathroom a lot less. So if you're assessing that you're constipated just because you're not going as often as you, you used to, it might not actually be constipation. It might just be that, you know, all, all the protein and fat gets uh, broken down and absorbed. So there's not a heck of a lot for you to eliminate. Um, you know, there are obviously still things like, um, you know, um, products from uh, bio, um, biochemical processes in the body. So um, there still are waste. There's still a lot of dead bacteria that get eliminated that way. So you should obviously still be going, but it might, you might um, decrease in frequency quite a bit. Um, if you are actually constipated and you can feel it, you feel bloated and, and you feel like you have to go, but you can't, um, again, the answer is often more fat. Um, by uh, when you take in fat, uh, the body releases um, a neurochemical called CCK, and that actually um, increases motility in the digestive tract. So um, if you're not doing enough fat, that might be um, part of the problem. Um, you might also just have come from a point where your body is very reliant on fiber. Um, fiber is actually a, um, a stimulant um, in that it stimulates the digestive tract. Um, it, it's actually an irritant. Um, so it, it will um, kind of force you to go when maybe you weren't necessarily ready to go. Um, so people, you know, in the holistic health scene like to load up on things like flax seeds, chia seeds, um, uh, psyllium seed. Those things um, actually have a negative effect and um, your body actually becomes reliant on them. So um, resist the urge to resort to a fiber supplement. Um, on these diets. I know that in a, in a lot of cases, fiber supplements are encouraged on the ketogenic diet because the assumption is that you need this fiber, but the, the human body actually is perfectly capable of um, functioning properly without fiber at all. So I would say resist the urge to uh, supplement with fiber. Um, maybe in the interim, you could do things like, um, like enemas or uh, something along those lines just to try and get things moving. Um, so... Yeah, I, as far as cravings during transition, um, you know, a lot of times when you're craving things like chocolate cake or bread or something like that, I mean, part of it is probably the addictive qualities of wheat. We've covered that in, uh, in our, our show that was on wheat. Um, but it might also be that you haven't transitioned completely and your body is just craving energy. Um, so one solution to this is to take in something like MCT oil or coconut oil. Um, MCT stands for uh, medium chain triglycerides, and they are fats that go directly into the, um, the mitochondria. So it's a quick hit of energy. They don't require um, the same amount of breakdown or any breakdown, really, um, that, that longer chain fats do. 
So sometimes if you're, if you're having a craving or something like that, a spoonful of coconut oil, a spoonful of MCT oil often will, um, you know, curb the, uh, the craving. Um, but to some degree, and also during transition, it just does require some willpower. Um, just, you know, keep in mind your goals and um, kind of keep on track. Yeah. But that's, that's what I had for, uh, for troubleshooting. I don't know if anybody had anything to add for that. No, I think you covered it pretty well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, my only question about that was uh, when you were talking about bowel movements, would, you know, and mm-hmm. we're all adults here, we can talk openly about this. But uh, <laughs> would you say that the, the nature of the movements might change, like their size or their shape might change as well, uh, something that might indicate that you're constipated, but instead it's just, uh, you know, it's a different, um, you know, it's a different wave of the body to to expel waste? I mean, as opposed to, uh, you know, having like one large bowel movement, you might have, uh, you know, recurring smaller ones or have you had a different experience with that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, again, it's a pretty individual thing, but I think, you know, when you make a radical change in your diet, you're bound to see some changes. Um, And a lot of things where um, stuff, you know, at first things kind of seem maybe like they're not, um, they're they're not quite on track and and, and things seem a little bit off. a lot of times, you know, over time, it just takes some time to transition for your body to kind of adapt and, and, uh, and things will, will regulate themselves. If it does sure. go for an extended period of time, then you might have to start doing some, some more troubleshooting and, and, uh, and looking into some other, other possibilities. Sure. Something that I yeah. noticed um, along those lines, um, if I'm not getting enough salt, I've noticed that I uh, don't have to go to the bathroom as much and not in a mm. good way. So yeah. uh, salt could be an issue there as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've definitely, for myself, I've noticed the uh, the hangry effect that you mentioned huh. from time to time. And I think that uh, based on what you said, that, that it might I might be having too much protein and not enough fat and a little higher protein ratio than I need. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, um, the There was a, a study on uh, people in ketosis. Granted, they were only in ketosis for a week. Um, but there is a, a stimulation to insulin from um, protein. So if you have a protein-heavy meal without uh, a commensurate enough of fat, you know uh, that can lead to the hangry issues. Um, whenever mm-hmm. I would go above the 1.4 grams per kilo, I would start to have hunger pains, like I uh, haven't felt since I was, you know, um, on a standard uh, American diet. Yeah, sure. there yeah, is something I found to say the same about thing. limiting the protein. Yeah, no, I found the same thing. When I was first doing this diet, I was like, you know, eating great big steaks and like all, all these like, you know, it was a big protein meal. That... Oh, I think we may have lost Doug. I think we did. Well, well I can go off of that you know i certainly sat down sure. and had a meal that was like a you know almost a one pound steak and you know there's some fat on there but it wasn't as much as needed to be on there uh to yeah. limit the insulin effect um so definitely uh if you're having hunger pains or hangry issues yeah. uh, i would say cut back on the protein a little bit up the fat and see how you do sure great well that's Great advice. Along those lines, um, I guess uh, we're we're coming down on our time here, so let's finish up with the Caesar soup recipe. And this is another great way yeah. to uh, 
to get more fat into the diet. Now, last week we did the fat bomb, uh, which is a little bit more of a sweet treat because you're adding, uh, you know, uh, sugar, alcoholic, xylitol or erythritol or stevia, um, and making more of a custard kind of thing. But this is more of a savory dish. Um, so we have approximate measurements here, um, but not exact. And so you can go ahead and play around with this and do your own, uh, measurements. But basically you want butter, uh, coconut cream, onions, garlic, shrimp, scallops, salt and pepper, cinnamon, and saffron, and then a few herbs. Uh, so with the herbs, you can have parsley, uh, chives, tarragon, things like that. So our, uh, our process here is, uh, about 500 grams of butter, which is about a pound, 1.1 pounds. So if you're in the, uh, the, the Western system, just grab a pound of butter, um, melt that in your pot, and then finally cut the onions and garlic and put that into the butter. <clears throat> Let them cook very well. Uh, and when they've thinned down enough, uh, add in some coconut cream, uh, say approximately two to three cups of coconut cream. Now, when that heats up and everything kind of melts together, then throw in your scallops and shrimp. Um, and you can let that cook for as long as you want. Uh, you can kind of gauge that while you're cooking it until if you like them al dente or if you like them a little more well done, um, you can see how long they should cook in the fat. Uh, but basically, this is just we're looking at butter and coconut cream. Uh, so you cook the onions and garlic down in the butter and coconut cream, add your shrimps and scallops. And then uh, when those are done, um, add in uh, a pinch of cinnamon, uh, some salt and pepper, and a just a, a very little pinch of uh, saffron. Uh, saffron is quite a potent spice, so you don't need very much. Um, so just kind of see what you like. And you can also play around with this and add other things too, like turmeric or ginger, whatever else you want to want to uh, to add to your own taste. And if you can't do the seafood thing, if you can't do shrimps and scallops or you don't want to, um, I would personally recommend adding something like uh, bacon, you know, or adding chunks of um, of beef uh, to this uh, to round out the flavor. So I know that uh, in the States we have an issue with shrimp right now. <laughs> Uh, especially with the issues that, that went down in the Gulf, unless you can get shrimp that you know where they came from and they're clean. Um, but if you can, by, by all means. Um, but like I said, if you can't handle the shellfish or the seafood for whatever reason, uh, try adding pork or, or beef to this to round out the flavor or just go with the butter and the, the spices and then chop up some, uh, some parsley, some tarragon, some chives or green onions. Toss that in there and you have a very filling, uh, very fatty soup. Uh, that's a great way to get the dosage of fat that you need on the ketogenic diet. Yeah, it sounds so, really good. I'm looking forward to trying it with ghee. Um, I know they had it here at the house a few days ago and when they went to, you know, get, get the leftovers, it was a pretty much like one gelatinous blob <laughs> of fat. <Yeah. laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Now that's interesting because Adam, you said that you uh, you can't do butter, right? So you're trying to look for things that have no milk solids yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how the milk proteins just in butter give me anxiety attacks. Hmm. Just weird. Yeah. Sure. Well, then, if you um, and if uh, I don't know, are you able to make your own clarified butter, or is there still too many milk milk solids in there for you to to handle? I can follow you ever tried. homemade ghee to a to an extent. I can't do it a whole lot without you know sure. having 
panic or anxiety attacks. Um, oh, sure. I can tolerate a little bit. I'm going to experiment yeah. with it and see, you know, maybe just do half butter, half, or sorry, half ghee, half lard. Sure, sure. I know that I had made the uh, the ghee at home for a little while, but it's hard to get all those milk solids out. You're basically just kind of spooning mm-hmm. them off the top unless you have some kind of a, a you know, centrifuge or processing that you can use. Um, yeah, I just do a bunch yeah. of bunch of paper towels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's uh, that's our show for the day. Um, thanks to everybody who participated. Adam, thanks for coming on with us. That was great. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of information. Me. Totally. So um, join us. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying thank you, Adam. You had a lot of great information to share. That was really helpful. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Yeah. Doug, I see that you're back here. I'm sorry we lost you. Is yeah. there anything else you'd like to add before we uh before we call it a day? No, I think I think that pretty much covers it. Sorry about that. My my internet connection seems to be a bit wonky today. No problem. No problem. All right. Well thanks guys. Uh I think that was a really great show. And uh thanks to all our listeners for tuning in and we will be back uh next Monday, uh same time, two PM Eastern. So be sure to tune back in. 